Ever since you can remember, you felt something in your chest telling you to move, to love, to speak, to try. Day after day, you pretend you don't hear it calling, or maybe you dismiss it as silliness or worse. But it's there, ready for you, and it will wait for you as long as you need. My name is Johnny G, and I invite you to join me on a journey of awakening as we dare to embrace our light. This is Refractive. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Refractive. I'm your host, Johnny G. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Connie Monroe with me. She is a life design coach and author. Instead of pursuing a journalism career after college, she chose to work for Merrill Lynch, where she was promoted into leadership and ultimately found a passion for mentoring and helping people. In 2008, she felt inspired to leave that career behind, and she began coaching, as well as her ultimate dream of writing. In 2021, she was able to publish her book, Holding On to Joy Through Abandonment and Divorce. And I think I think she's going to be an amazing guest for us today. So welcome, Connie. It's nice to have you. Oh, Johnny, thanks so much for having me. This is really great to be here. Yeah, you know, I was just kind of taken by your um, by the the by your book, um, and you talked about in the title of the book specifically this fear of abandonment, um, and you relate it back to divorce as well. This this concept of of marriage and relationships and divorce. And I, as I've done my inner work over the years, I was really surprised to learn that my greatest fear was related to abandonment. And it's it, it shocked me because I'm just, I, I never understood how it would make sense. Um, I was never abandoned in the way I would think of it as a child. Um, mm-hmm. I was never like, you know, I, you know, I have friends who were put up for adoption when they were young and, and they deal with the baggage of that and, 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 and or people who were maybe like left ghosted by a long time spouse or, you know, that I get that, but I'm like, why does this play such a role in my life? And I think that's why your book resonated with me and why I wanted to kind of bring you onto the show. So I I just want to ask you, why is this topic so important to you? So, yeah, well, that's a great question. And, and I totally resonate with everything that you just said. Um, I certainly in my life have definitely made friends with people. It's so strange, right? I I have had so many friends who I have been adopted, right? Like, I can't tell you how many friends in my life that I've been like, oh, wow, these person's talking to me and they're adopted too. And so there, there is this thing that happens, right? When you're talking about abandonment, but, but it, it like at some point in many people's lives, um, they can understand, you know, even if they haven't been adopted, like you just said, even if their, their father hasn't abandoned them. So in my book, I talk about abandonment and divorce. The abandonment happened when I was a child. My father deserted the family when I was about the age of 10. And then in my divorce that, you know, these are all lessons that I've learned, right? The whole book is a compilation of lessons that I've learned from both of those experiences. Um, I will confess to you that 
the book was never intended to be that topic. Oh. So, so what, what I was trying to do, um, I was trying to combine my love of writing, right? I have a degree in English from Rutgers University. Um, I've always wanted to be a writer. I didn't know what kind of writing I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to write. Um, I wanted to combine my, combine my love of writing with my love of mentoring people, write a book and launch my coaching career. And actually I have my, um, I hired a career coach in 2013 to figure things out because I left corporate and then went back into corporate. And this is what she ultimately came up with for me. So in 2018, I finally took her advice and I sat down to write the book and I said, this is going to be like a memoir of life lessons. All right. So what are my biggest life lessons? And by chapter four or five, like I was coming up with these really good memories and really good, um, you know, what I thought were well-written sort of like essays that I was going to mold into chapters. And so by chapter four or five, I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. I'm writing about my divorce and I'm writing about when my father abandoned me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that is speaking to me. So I'm just going to go with it Yeah. because I had a million stories lined up and they were all dealing with what I learned from those two experiences. Wow. And those two experiences were really, you know, I think life defining, you know, and there were so many synchronicities that were happening when, um, you know, when I look back on my father abandoning me and then I look back on my divorce, like there were so many similar things, like not maybe things that I was, I didn't know I was learning when I was little, but now as an adult, I was definitely learning them. And I, I saw how my life was just sinking together. There was this synchronicity that was happening. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the abandonment issue is really important to me because while that's a huge thing for your dad to just up and leave, and we're talking about, you know, I forget what year that was. Isn't that terrible? 1970 something, right? Where there's no internet, there's no, there's nothing. There's no cell phones. I mean, like my mom is calling hospitals. Like, yeah. did he die? Do I have to go to the morgue? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so the thing of it is, is I did, you know, I, as a very young child and even going into my teenage years, I, you know, I did, I was very scared of that happening again. Like, for example, when in the first couple of years that my father was gone, um, you know, if my, I was alone with my mom grocery shopping or something like that, and she would like go off into another aisle and all of a sudden I lost sight of her. I would be like, <gasps> like, oh my gosh, is it happening again? But, um, you know, on the other side of all that, so the first part, the first uh, part of the title of the book is holding on to joy, right? Yeah. So as a child, I, I feel very fortunate that I grew up the way I did, even with my father abandoning me, because I grew up in a very loving environment, very loving environment. Um, I have three older sisters. Uh, they're eight, nine, and 10 years older than me. So imagine coming home as a newborn, right? They're like, we have a live play doll, right? They showered me with affection. Oh, that's great. Um, my dad, I, I spent most, actually all of my life around my mother's side of the family because my father was from the West Coast. He was from Oregon and my mom is from New Jersey. And he came out to New Jersey to um, visit his sister who was living here at the time and you know, they met and that's how the whole thing happened. But my father did not grow up in a loving environment. 
he's the one who actually probably maybe he even had more abandonment issues than I did, to be honest with you, because what happened with him was he was 18 months old when his mother died tragically. She was killed. Nobody really ever found out how or why it was at like the town fair. You know, let's go back. What was that? 1934 or something, right? Yeah. So he was, he was 18 months old. So maybe it was 35 or 36. Anyway, um, I always found that fascinating because he grew up without a mom. And then the, of course, you know, later in life, I'm like, that's fascinating because, you know, you grow up without a mom and don't you want to keep your family together? Like, (laughs) so the thing of it is, um, you know, over the years in my adult life, I did a lot of research and I said, let me just try and figure things out. Cause we had, we, there was no contact for 25 years. He left. I was about 10. I spoke to him when I was 35. And so I joined ancestry.com. I'm like, let me figure this out. Well, what I found the the piece of the puzzle that I did find out that I did not know was he what? so he, his mom died at 18 months old, but when he was five years old, according to the census records, right. When he was five years old, he was given up for adoption. My grandfather married a woman. And I had heard that that's why this, he was put up for adoption, but I didn't re I thought it all happened quickly, right? Like the, the woman died, he remarried a woman who didn't want children. So he put them up for adoption, but guess what? My dad was five years old, maybe six. Can you imagine? So now you're all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then he got adopted by a horrible family. Mm-hmm. I just, we, you know, we could do a whole podcast on what he went through in his childhood yeah. And so anyway, it just became a very sad childhood. And, but here's the funny thing. I must, have, I must have inherited his joy because as a kid, he was called Smiley. Oh, nice. He's like, every, you know, he had nothing to smile about. I mean, I could tell you about his adoptive family. They were pretty horrible, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but he was always smiling. And so, uh, yeah, it just, from there, it just became a really sad life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he got, uh, he was pretty much adopted. So he could be a farmhand out in Oregon. And, you know, he was working with the farmhands at the age right. of 11. And they're like, well, if you can, you know, if you can work like a man, you can drink like a man. Sure. Yeah. That was the first time he got drunk. And then he had this whole battle his entire life with alcohol. And honestly, if I have to be quite frank here about the abandonment issues, um, I feel like the silver lining in my father abandoning us was he just couldn't get himself together. Yeah. So for him to be away from me all those years, away, the dysfunctional behavior gone, it was a blessing in disguise. Right. And you know what? Kids are pretty resilient. Like I knew it wasn't like, oh, he disappeared one day. He was a little, you know, erratic. You know, I would say the last three years of him living of us all being a family, um, he had decided to become sober and they were great years. He was an amazing man. He probably could have been the mayor of the town. I mean, it was like this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. I think he was fighting his whole life. And so, um, so, you know, kids are pretty resilient. Like I, I knew him leaving us was probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember him calling. So when he left, there would be about an hour I was like one of those latchkey kids back in the seventies, right? right? Like mm-hmm. I, he, there would be an hour before my mom got home from work. And so I was all by myself because my sisters were older. So they were in high school. They had a different schedule and he must've known 
you know, he must've known, oh, she'll be there. I'll call. So I, he, I pick up the phone and he's like, Hey, I, now I hadn't seen him in like two months. Oh. Right. And now dad's on the phone. I'm like, Oh, wow. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> right? Holy cow! And he's like, so what do you think about daddy coming home? And I said, mm, I don't know. And I never saw him again. So yeah. as a 10 year old, I'm like, Oh, I'm the one who did it. Of course. I should have said, yes, come home. <laughs> right. Oh, that but you know what? It just, when that was gone, right? When, when he, when the, when the lines were cut and he was gone, I have to tell you, it really was like something that must've been festering. It was like a cancer. I, his three years of sobriety weren't, weren't 100% honest. And the first chapter of my book is be 100, be, be true to yourself. Yes. I don't think his whole life he was true to himself. Mm -hmm. And so what made him become sober? I don't know. I think it was my mom. I think my mom was like just trying to get on with things and just trying to raise her family. And he he just hopped on the bandwagon and I don't think he was ready. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, that's all in retrospect, right? Like that's all me talking with my adult eyes on and being very, very, very grateful for him leaving because- yes. Had he stayed around, it would have been an unending cycle of, you know, disruptions and arguing. I mean, he would, he, he could be, he, he got violent with my mom a few times. I mean, it just wasn't good behavior. And I think that be, I feel lucky actually that I was the youngest because I think that I remember things very differently. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, if you're, if you were 10 and your sisters were 18, 19 and 20, they went through all of it. Like they had vivid memories of all yes. of it. Yeah. Yes. And they knew what was happening. They had enough, you know, wherewithal to, to know about the parental fighting and know about that the stuff that a little kid might. Oh, and they protected me so much. They would protect yeah. me. You know, there'd be an argument forming in the one side of the house and they'd be like, Hey, let's go play with, you know, like they would totally distract me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I feel uh, lucky in so many ways. Um, there is that thing with the age that I was at when it happened, where I did for many, many, many years, blame myself. Right. And then, you know, when I became, an, you know, maybe when I was in university, my mom and I had a really good talk about it. And I was like, what the heck? I had nothing to do with that, right? Like you have nothing to do with that. When you're when you're a child, even the older children in the family, they had nothing to do with that. that was between my mom and my dad. Yes. And my mom, I think um, maybe she put up with it for too long. But when the cut was made, I have to tell you, she was like a rock star. She did everything she should have as a role model and as a mom. Uh, she was amazing. She went back to school. She just, she did a, an amazing job. Once it was final and it was over and we knew he was not coming back anymore. It was just, boom. It was yeah. the catalyst for her to just do something different with her life. And honestly, she really was like my first hero in life because of the way she handled things. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's great. You know, I, I really love that you talked about your gratitude for the situation you went through, given your current perspective. You know, I, I'm a coach, you're a coach. And, 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 and I know that what I see with my clients is, is 
really perspective gets in the way, right? Mm. A, 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 let's say an unhelpful perspective gets in the way of so many. And I, and I can say for me, for me in my past gets in the way of me living a life that is authentic, that is powerful, that is free, that is serene, oh. you know, and, and the idea that even when life is painful, in fact, this was my, this was a recent episode of, the, of this podcast, even when life is painful, um, I believe, and others may disagree, I believe that nothing is wrong and everything is perfect, you know, and look, we can extrapolate this out to worst case scenarios and mass tragedy and, and, and oh, of I, course, I have no desire to, to, to get into all of that, you know, I mean, I understand how raw that can be for people, um, you know, and at the same time, um, you know, I want my clients to follow their intuition. Mm-hmm. And if their intuition says being a parent right now is not, it's not the right move for me. Yes. That leaves total tragedy in the wake. And what would be the result of gritting your teeth for the next 18 years and hating your life while you're in that home? What would the waves be? for the family that goes through you resenting them quietly for 18 years, you know, and, and, and yeah, I just really, ah. it's really deep, right? Like, yeah. And I think about, I mean, cause there were certainly times when I was growing up where I was like, does he even think about me? You know, like, like, how do you just, how do you get treated so poorly as a child? And turn around and treat your child that way. How do you do that? Who does that? Right. But, and then the thing, and then you think about like, and then you learn like all the details, like he, this, this family that adopted him was just, they were not good people. Right. They were not good people. He did not take their name. He lied about his age so that he could get into the Navy a year or two early. That says a lot right there. (laughs) And he, like, he always said, oh, the Navy was my mother. You know, (laughs) that's who he had. But, um, you know, it it is you, and it's really interesting because I don't know, I guess maybe the only difference between me and my father was, was that for me having a loving environment and for him having a lack of it, because I certainly know people like I'm thinking about him growing up in that house from the time he was for at least 10 years, right? At least 10 years, he was growing up in this horrible situation. And um, like, how do you grow up like that? And, I, and I've known many other people who, uh, you know, I've witnessed, you know, I, I was always a little, um, I grew up Catholic, right? So there's, there's a lot around certain rules, right? Like divorce was big taboo. You know, like, oh my gosh, like, oh. And so the thing of it is, I have grown up around family. I've seen it in other families where it's like, uh, how is it that my family, you know, has so much divorce in it and yet there's so much love Mm. and other families, I'm like, 
wow, they, they seem to have it all together, but I don't know. There's a lot of crickets going on. Nobody's right. talking, you know, people are bigger. Like, and you talk about the resentment for, for 18 years. I mean, there's so many stories. Um, you know, recently I had a friend of mine tell me about a friend of hers at work about, you know, the, the, this dramatic, like all of a sudden this couple that everybody knew they're getting divorced and they're like, what's happening? Well, you know, they got married and they stayed married for the kids. Yeah. Well, one person did and one person didn't. And so for the other person, it was sort of a shock. Right. But it's really sad. And, and, and I always say, do what's healthy. Right. What's the healthy thing to do? Yeah. What is the healthy thing to do? And who knows? I mean, I, I, I certainly know by the, the way that my father left, um, he was not healthy. <laughs> he was certainly not saying I'm going to do this for the health of my family and everything. He really wasn't. He was just it's, at that point in his life, he definitely was a lost soul. Mm-hmm. But I feel that, you know, I do believe in a higher being. I do believe we were being protected Yeah. because he had made his effort, right? He'd made his effort. And then it didn't work. And so that's it. It was like, you know, it was kind of like what that was, that was one of the synchronicities with my divorce and so weird, right? Like, like um, there was this infidelity and my ex-husband told me about it. And then we tried to work on it for three years. And then, and that was, it was like the same thing, right? My father was sober for three years. My ex-husband was, was working on that marriage for three years. And I really do believe again, in divine intervention, because it was like, after a certain point, it was like, he is not being true. So we're going to show you the truth. And then you make up your mind. And I was like, Whoa, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, and in that situation too, we can also, we can compare the two men, right? They're not being honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. There you go. Boy, this, that's, that's a key right there. And you've had this this lifetime of learning from from these painful experiences. And so what have you learned? If you had to boil some of the lessons from this dealing with this sense of abandonment over the years, what have you learned? Uh, Maybe the biggest thing that I've learned is that life is so much bigger than we are and what our problems are. Mm -hmm. Right. But like, we're not alone. And I think a lot of people, when they have these experiences of abandonment, they're going through a really horrible divorce. Listen, I thought my divorce was horrible, right? There was an infidelity with a woman at work. And as it turned out, we all worked there. I worked there. He, my husband, ex-husband worked there. She worked there. She was married. Her husband worked there. I was like a, in a Daniel Steele novel. I was oh like, my oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. But you know, again, right? Like attracts like. So during that time, I happened to meet a lot of people going through divorce. And I think a lot of people get stuck there, right? Well, how could that happen to me? Like, well, I get it. Trust me. I get it. But I think that the lesson is, you know, your life is so much more than the horrible things that happened to you. Yeah. Right. there's Your life is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, was it Albert Einstein said, if you want true happiness, I to a goal, not to a person or a thing, hmm. right? Things mean nothing, right? Your house could burn down tomorrow. I have a friend whose house uh, burned down twice, right? Oh my God. Things mean nothing. 
and people, well, yeah, people, yeah, love people, you know, be generous with people, love with abandon, but people are people. Yeah. And we, we can always disappoint one another, but if you tie it to a goal, right, that's different. So there, there's this bigger thing where I do understand where people get stuck. I totally, I, I totally get it. Right. But when you let go of that, lots of people have a hard time get letting go of that. One of, one of the, uh, there was a woman who read my book when it was newly came out and um, she, she was an old, old colleague of mine. And when she, when she reached out, she's like, I just want to let you know that, you know, your book gave me some things to think about. I, we have a lot of uh, parallel situations and I've never thought about them th- in the way that you do. And I was like, if I get no other book sale, yeah. if nobody says another word to me, I am fulfilled in writing that book. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, part of it, I do feel that I've been, again, right. I go back to my gratefulness because I was raised by the woman that I was, because I've had other influences in my life. You know, I had this amazing coach growing up. And by the way, uh, I threw myself into my sport the year my father abandoned us. And the year I was about to go through divorce, I started coaching. <laughs> yeah, there you, there's a parallel right there. So um, I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned is that it's not all about us. Yeah, yeah. You can feel that way because That's when it. you're in it, it's horrible. Yeah. It's like the day that I was like miserable, right? I was in the, I was in the doldrums. I'm going through divorce every time, every day I go home. I get, I make it through the day at work. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And like, that was my routine. I would like strip off of my corporate clothes. I'd have a bottle of wine at the, you know, I picked up smoking again from my college days. I'm like, okay, I'm going to smoke myself to death. Yeah. And one day my cousin calls and she's like weeping. I'm like, what's the matter? Like, I'm the one who's calling people weeping every day. Right. Yeah. She called to tell me about her sister. My other cousin, also older than us, was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Hmm. And my cousin who called me is a very good nurse. She's been practicing. She's still a nurse, right? She knows prognosis. So she's weeping. She knows it's not a good situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got the, off the phone with her and I said, girl, you are not going to die from this divorce, right? Your cousin might die, but you're not going to die. You need to get yeah. it together. Not that it you know, was easy from there. But I can tell you this, that was like, you know what? Don't insult your cousin. You're not going to die from your divorce. Mm -hmm. Get it together. So where do you think this comes from? Because I have to say that, you know, so I, I've done a lot of inner work, as I mentioned earlier on myself and my fears and, um, and I've partnered with a lot of other people who've done this kind of work too. And I, you know, the fear of abandonment is, it just seems ubiquitous. It seems like mm. everyone is so concerned about being dropped or abandoned or let go. And, uh, and not everyone has experienced the type of trauma that you have. And mm. so why do you think it's such a common fear um, when maybe the 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 catalyst behind the fears can seem a bit out of balance to the strength Mm. of the fears in life. Mm. I think it's because people want to be relevant. Mm. They want to be validated. Yeah. So, so you go through your, uh, so let's, let's just take my childhood, right? So the last three years of my childhood was like, quote unquote, normal, right? Dad stopped drinking, 
he became very involved in the community in the church. He became, it, it was this amazing transformation. And all of a sudden I fit in, right? I can go to school with a smile on my face because I know I'm not going to go home and see dad drunk, right? I'm normal like the rest of the kids. Well, now he's gone, right? <laughs> oh man, I was relevant for three years. Okay. I fit in for three years. I fit in. Yeah. And I belonged. I think there's a huge fear of that. There's especially in today's day and age with, you know, social media and, you know, people, uh, I mean, we, that there's a whole nother show for you. Right. Um, you know, people always saying like, uh, well, you don't really believe what you see on that stuff. Right. Like, Oh yeah. There's people who are probably posting like these most perfect things out there and their life is falling apart. Yeah. Right. Maybe that, maybe that social media helps them feel relevant mm -hmm. because everything else is such a mess. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think that it's a huge thing. The fear of abandonment is the really the fear of not, not being relevant in anybody's life. Okay. And have you seen your clients uh, and just other people maybe in your life and yourself, I'm sure. Ha how have you seen people move through this? Because you know, while I said that some people have this very strong fear, even though the incidents in their lives may have seemed minor, you know, from the outside, right. some people have truly gone through horrific, horrific oh, yeah. uh, experiences that leave them with this fear of abandonment. And, and how do you move through that? Um, I think you really do have to go back to remembering that life is so much larger than what you're going through because here's the situation right i read a book dr eggers i can't remember her first name dr eggers she wrote a book called the promise okay she's a holocaust survivor i mean so it's one of the things she says that i'm so in awe of is is you know, people will approach her and they'll be like, they'll go to her. She's actually over the years, she became, she ended up becoming a therapist and the whole thing. Right. So, you know, people come to her and they'd be like, Oh, but you know, my, my little things that I've been through is there, it's not as much as you have. She's like, first of all, we have to get rid of that thought. Right. We have to get rid of that thought. Like I'm not the same. That always fascinated me about human behavior. Like how could, like I knew, for example, my ex-husband's grandmother, right? The matriarch of that family. She had a very similar childhood to my father. Okay. And there's no way she would ever abandon her children. It mm. would have never happened. Right. So how do two people come from a very similar background and they're two totally opposite? It's because we're not all cut from the same fabric. Yeah. yeah. Right. So my trauma and this other uh, woman who wrote the book, The Promise, right? I, oh my gosh, well, I shouldn't be that you know, I, I didn't go through the Holocaust. I, you know, my dad just left me, but it's all relevant to who you are. Right. Right. How do you move through that? You remember that, you know what? Everyone's always got something worse than you do. Mm. Everyone does. You know, there are these things that, that go up and down, right? Oh, I'm better than someone. Our egos get in the way. Guess what? Someone out there, no matter how bad you have it, someone else always has it worse. Yeah. Yeah. So... And, and you know what, like one of the things that I thought of growing up and of course this, I guess this would have to apply to other people in different ways, but 
at some point in my early adulthood, I realized that I wanted to do something with my life if for no other reason than to make my mom proud, Mm -hmm. right? Like, did she really suffer all that stuff so that I could turn around and be an alcoholic like my father? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. We have to think about the people around us. And there's, there's one other, um, author I'd like and book I'd like to 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 put out there sure do do you know have you read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning no but uh, his name comes up it's a short book it's a hard read because of the descriptions that he has in there but basically he was a holocaust survivor as well and what happened to him was of course he's in the concentration camp and um his uh, profession was he was a therapist. He was a psychologist. And so now he, as a psychologist, he's sitting in the camp and he's, he's literally watching people. He's watching. Why are some people just dying so quickly? And other, and this is without, you know, intervention, right? Some people just fade away in the middle of the night because they can't take it anymore. And what he came up with was that they had, they had something to live for. Oh, okay. So when, so when he survived the Holocaust and all that, and then when he, when he went back into practice, he completely turned his practice around. And whenever he would have someone in his office who was suicidal, who was be, like beyond despair, he would literally jar them out of their mental state and say, well, why haven't you killed yourself yet? Mm-hmm. And they would go, inevitably, they would usually go, well, I don't want to upset my mother or I don't want to do this or whatever. And then he would work with them from that point on. Okay. Yeah. So because it was something bigger than them. Right. Right. So that ties back to what you were saying about, yeah, about that. And, you know, it's, it's delicate, right? Because you don't want to just, you don't want to just minimize someone's suffering and say, snap out of it. There's bigger (laughs) things. But at the same time, it's about perspective of your life, right? Yes. It's about having, uh, it's about, taking off your blinders and recognizing that uh, sometimes the glasses I'm looking through are dirty, you know, in the whole picture here. And that if I can just see the whole picture, I realize, oh, I'm letting a painful event disrupt the majority of my life. When in reality, maybe that is an out of proportion reaction And, you know, is there a way to start nudging this back through just holding up a mirror and shining the flashlight? Absolutely. And, you know, it really is. I mean, I've had, like I mentioned, the the woman with the book earlier, like, oh, my gosh, that is that's why I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, You know, some people. You know, as my mother has a thing that she does every morning, she's a very prayerful woman. She, she one of the things she prays for every day is, God, please keep me teachable, mm-hmm. right? We yeah. have to remain teachable because I do know that there are some people who are so stuck. And those are the people who, who we're not going to coach, right? We're, I, I would recommend therapy, right? Because if you can't get out of that quicksand with someone walking the road with you, um, because it really is. It's like, I do see, and and especially with the topic of divorce, I see a lot of people get stuck. Mm-hmm. They yeah, get so stuck. How, how do you see this fear of abandonment interfere with marriage or other romantic type of relationships? I'm sure 
I, I'm sure it's got to add an enormous stress to those relationships. Oh yeah. Well, all kinds of things go on, right? Like the first thing we have to realize in life and then not forget it when we go into a relationship, right? Nobody is responsible for your happiness. There you go. Nobody but you. All right, listeners, Nobody. you need to get a notebook out when you write that down. Like this <laughs> is the gold. This is the gold that you've been mining for uh, for the last half hour. Okay, say that again. Nobody is responsible for your happiness but yes. you. Yes. Nobody. You know, people, go, you know, they get married, they go to the church, they promise in front of everybody and they feel like there's something there that like, you're responsible for part of my happiness. No, yeah, absolutely not. And I will tell you that, okay, so I spoke about the infidelity in my, in my marriage, my ex-husband, but if I had anything to blame, it definitely was feeling like he was partly responsible for my happiness. Mm -hmm. My marriage to my ex-husband was kind of like a destiny. Yeah. And it marriage isn't a destiny. No relationship. I don't even care if you never marry somebody, right? You like it, that's a journey you decide to go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And so the journey is, you know, you're responsible for your own happiness. Yeah. And the good news about that is you're not responsible for anybody else's happiness. Yes. And you don't <laughs> need to wait for someone else to make you happy. This is such yes. good news. Yeah. This is so such people good get news. lost in the, oh, well, you know, he's not doing this. So, well, guess what? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. What are you, how's you, how are you going to react to it? That's the only thing you can control. Yeah. Yeah. And why do you want to be with someone who, who, you want to change, yeah. right? Like, yeah. why do you want to be with some, why do you want to depend on anyone else for your happiness? Mm -hmm. Look, Connie, here is a controversial opinion, right? So listeners, I don't want your hate mail, right? <laughs> Take what works and leave the rest. Okay. But, uh, you know, I firmly, firmly believe that every single one of us, me, as well as all the people who hurt me and everything, everyone, is completely innocent and responsible. Mm. Innocent and responsible. And here's what I mean by that. So if I walk out on my spouse and disappear, why would I do that? Right? You asked yourself that question. Like, why would that happen? Like, why would, why would this happen? <laughs> right? Like, why would this happen? Okay. And in my thinking about all the things I've done that have hurt people and all the things that other people have done to hurt me, I've come to the conclusion that all I'm trying to do day in and day out is feel better. And sometimes in order to feel better, I step on another person. You know, I look at my, at my high school experience, which was very dark, very dark, very painful. And I look at those 275 other boys who made life difficult for me. Okay. And, um, and it maimed my life. It maimed mm. my psyche. And I finally came to the realization that they are innocent. They're innocent because high school in an all boys 
private school is terrifying. It's terrifying. And all they were trying to do is make it. All they were trying to do is make it. And if I can just direct the attention to that guy, I can make it. It's not about that guy. I don't hate that guy. I've got to make it. And I don't know how else to do it. And so, yes, those guys, they are responsible for the pain that I experienced. They caused it. And they're innocent. Well, I have to agree with you because um, when I went to therapy the the second time when I knew it was over, that was what came out of that. Like, like, I don't know what happened to me because I was always very, like I said, even my father leaving, I was fine. I was like, I had a lot of self-confidence when my ex left. I was like, or told me about the affair even worse. Right. I, all of a sudden I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't thin enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't interesting enough. I don't know what happened to me, but when I did the therapy, that's what came out of the therapy. She's like, that affair has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And I'm like, it's everything to do with me. No, that's how he decided to handle that's right. whatever was going on in his brain at that's that time. Right. This other woman talked to him. I don't know how the whole thing started, to be honest with you, but that's what happened. It was like, oh, that feels good. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sorry she's got to get hurt in the process, but I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And 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 the thing is that the thing is that. The thing is that I would do the same thing if I was believing what what he believed in that moment. That if I were in his shoes, believing the scary thoughts and feeling the scary pain, I would have done the same thing. Because I would never, ever do anything that would make my life worse, knowingly, right? Right. Like, like I would. I never, everything I ever do. That's why when people say, oh, he did your best. I used to roll my eyes. We're like, oh, nobody ever does the best, but that's not, I don't believe that anymore. I right. always pick what is the optimal outcome for myself. And sometimes it involves stepping on another person and, yeah. and, and it's not fair and I'm responsible and anyone would have done the same thing if they were feeling the pain and believing the scary thoughts, that's the thing, believing the scary thoughts, a spiritual awakening allows me to no longer believe the scary thoughts. And when I no longer believe the scary thoughts, I don't need to step on another person to feel better, right? My relief, the illusion of what will give me relief changes. And that's how I become a lighter person, right? But in that moment, that's the only way out that I see. So I take it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And you know, it's hard to tell someone that. Yes. It really is. When she told me, my therapist said that to me, I was like, how dare you? Oh yes, exactly. You witch. But thankfully she was, I mean, she worked off of a whole theory and she was amazing. So I just, you know, I, I let it, I let it sit for a few days and it was like, boom, she's telling the truth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for digging into your past and, and to your story. I, I really, uh, I think this is a powerful topic for us to discuss. Yeah, it absolutely is. I, and, and, you know, I think that a lot of people, um, they live on fear of a lot yeah. of things, Yeah, you know, true. and so I think that it's, a it, you know, abandonment's way up there. 
listen, I, I know that uh, uh, if people are interested in learning more about your path, they can certainly read your book. Again, your book is called Holding On to Joy Through Abandonment and Divorce. And you can find that everywhere, right? You can find it on Amazon. Yes, it's on right. Amazon Kindle or paperback. Yep. And I know that you're also on Facebook uh, and your name appears on Facebook as Connie Jean Monroe. And that's uh, C-O-N-N-I-E and then new new word, J-E-A-N Monroe, M-O-N-R-O-E, right? Correct. Okay, great. MonroeCoaching.com. So what would you recommend if listeners are intrigued by your story or feel that you're able to help them in a special way? How would you recommend them uh, to get in touch with you? Um, I would definitely go to monroecoaching.com in case they're not on Facebook. Um, I do have a woman's group on Facebook that is easy enough to get into if you are on Facebook. So you just friend me and, uh, you know, tell me that you're interested in talking more about this stuff. Uh, but all my contact information is listed on monroecoaching.com. Um, and of course, my my book is on Amazon. And um, yeah, anybody who would like to reach out to me, definitely just, just send me the email that's on the monroecoaching.com site and we can get a conversation going. I know that you uh, you hold a special place in your heart for working with people who are either going through divorce or healing from divorce, right? I do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's um, it's a big thing. And, you know, I really do. The more I look at it, the more I, the more I work with it, I'm like a lot of people get stuck. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know what? It's, it's, it's hard to see in the beginning, but honestly, it, it's a new beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Connie. It was beautiful. Johnny, thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure. Everyone, I am always so grateful that you tune in. And uh, as always, remember to aim your light. Take care. You've been listening to Refractive Podcast, and this is Johnny G. If you found today's content uplifting, if you think it might make somebody's day better, give it a share on social media, click like, subscribe, all those things help to expand this podcast availability to new audiences. I'm a speaker, a coach, and a facilitator based out of Washington, D.C., but I travel a lot. If you think I can be of service to you or to your organization, help people get unstuck or move into their authentic power, shoot me an email. My email address is refractivepodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Thanks for listening and aim your light.